back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited to be back on this show again. It's been a, a, a small hiatus, if you will. I have Zach Borst with me, the man, the myth, the legend, Ian Weekly podcast host, USAR member, firefighter, former this, former that, former everything, current Doberman, hopefully not <laughs> former. Uh, Zach. Breaking news. I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, this is so awkward. Um, how you doing? I am doing uh, great, actually. I am I'm pumped. I'm excited. There's there's new things afoot. You were giddy this morning, and that I was, was giddy. fun to see. I had an hour and a half of sleep, and I'm trying to stay awake, and I get on this call, and you're like, let me show you this, and you're so full of energy, and I'm just like, survive. Um, but... That being said, there's a lot of good reasons, and that's kind of a teaser for everybody else later in the show of why you should be giddy and why you should be really excited about uh, what you're doing. And so we can uh, have that little teaser, but at the same time, you explore more of that on your uh, podcast on EM Weekly. So make sure everybody check out EM Weekly's podcast about AI later. But for the sake of this podcast, we're going to keep it kind of to the broad spectrum of emerging technologies. And I want to frame it with uh, personal experience and then bring Zach kind of into the conversation um, as he's going to have a lot of insight in here as well. So as you all know, I flew drones for FEMA. Yes, as FEMA, not as an adjacent to FEMA or as a mission assignment from FEMA, but as part of the National Strike Team, National IMAT West, as it used to be called. Now it's called RED. Several years ago during Hurricane Harvey and then wildfires, and uh, in California and saw those amazing use cases. And what happened was when we got out there, now I'm not gonna rehash the whole story for everybody, but essentially we found more homes faster than a 33 person team. And we had two of us in the field and three GISers working on it in the back end. And it was, it was like exciting. I felt like I was on like the, the edge of technology that, you know, doing these amazing things. and. Uh, what happened was it was torpedoed and um, it was incredibly frustrating at the time to see this technology that could help out response to could help out emergency managers and help out really survivors get better information faster. That was just actionable. It wasn't opinion based or wasn't writing it down on paper and trying to transfer that paper, but you could, you could geospatially see it and mark it in real time. And yet uh, because of gosh, how do you say like the, the wigs, Luddites. yeah, the, the 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 former crowd, if you will, if you will, the crusties, um, and pushing back on it because one, they were afraid of technology. Two, they would say things like it, it could replace jobs. It's like so, you'd rather, you know, fulfill your selfish need in a temporary space and not help out tons of survivors faster. There was all these issues, and they torpedoed it. They absolutely killed the program inside of FEMA. And what they did is because the use cases were already proven, it was in official FEMA documents and after yeah. actions, they had to do something about it. So they gave it over to passionate amateurs, as if you will, from an, uh, from another group to go out there and fly for them. And the same problem happened. They got a billion photos, but not what we really, what we needed. And that's no discredit to them, right? Like that's no discredit to the people who want to help out, but the technology wasn't used in, in its truest capability. Yeah. So with that background in mind, Zach, let's talk about AI and to make sure that we are not so prideful in our field that we don't torpedo this and we can also tread lightly because it is 
you know, drones were cool and drones are still cool, but this is exponentially bigger and somehow in some spaces could be exponentially more dangerous, right? For those crowds who are like, oh, AI. So how would you address the immediate concern of, I don't even want to test this out because of, you know, emerging technologies. Do we don't really know what it can do? How do you, how do you overcome those fears? Well, first <laughs> I, I've got breaking news. Uh, those people that were mad about drones are going to be just as mad about AI. <laughs> and the people that were mad wah, about wah. drones were mad at me before when I was introducing social media as a tool in emergency management. Um, and, you know, of course, it's the, the social media was the same thing. Like, it's a Pandora's box. Once we open it up, like, you know, everything's out there and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But the reality is, like, technology is going to continue to evolve regardless of whether you are comfortable or you are interested in, um, you know, learning it. And so because of that, uh, you have to sort of stay on top of it. I would, I would actually say, even if you're a Luddite, you know, who doesn't like technology at all and wants to do things on paper, you still have to be aware of this because around you, it's going to start to replace stuff. And that's sort of like what I've been messing around with it for. Uh, the example that I gave in my podcast was like a very specific I was using it to just kind of test local resource management for like the single shop EM or a, a you know, one person dispatch center uh, to see if it could support it. Um, but obviously there's organizations that are much bigger than us that are going to start loading this into all of their systems. So understanding how it works and its limitations and the challenges is going to be important regardless. And the evolution in the field I think is going to be significant. Like drones was a better way of doing one thing. This is like a generational leap in technology. And and I'll caveat all this in saying that like, I, I call it AI, I talk about it as though it's AI. The reality is like a lot of this is uh, what you call like a LLM, uh, I think it's a learning language machine. Uh, I'm sure I've got that acronym wrong, but LLM, it's basically a chatbot, right? It's a fancy Ooh. chatbot. It takes all of the data that's fed into it, and it's just really good at taking that and then uh, using a natural processing language, I believe. Again, I, this is like I'm going to be so embarrassed when all the nerds are like, you're doing it wrong. Um, it's better than I mean, I, I want to be. Yeah, yeah I, I, I want to be a AI practitioner. I'm not an engineer. I'm trying to learn as much as I can as quickly as I can, but I went from like zero to a 200 miles an hour in the last like two weeks on this, as everybody else is as well. But uh, it's basically a just an intelligent search engine that can take stuff and spit it out in a way that sounds more human-like. Um, and the models are getting more advanced even just in the last few weeks. Like GPT-4 is exponentially more powerful than the previous one. And they have a new one out live that's a, I think it's called GPT-Live, that actually pulls live data from the internet, the entirety of the internet. And there's BARD, you know, that's the Google version. Bing is building it into it. Those are just sort of like fancy chatbots, right? AI is going to be built into a lot of different stuff. Predictive analytics uh, to help you um, with alerting. It's going to be able to take, uh, speaking of, of alert and warning stuff, like mass notification systems, you'll be able to type in a message and it'll automatically turn it into the 90-character WEA, the 360-character WEA, uh, IPOS compliant, uh, change it to languages in spoken language format, not just the direct con uh, conversion of like English to another language, which anyone who is a ESL speaker knows like English doesn't directly translate just because you use the, your language's words in the same English, you know, framework, you have to actually make it work. 
Um, AI is going to revolutionize that. Um, but it is early. Uh, garbage in, garbage out, right? Like if there's bad data that's going in, there's going to be bad data that goes out. Um, the systems are still training uh, and, and figuring out how this is going to work. And there's a bunch of like dark side stuff too. It's going to absorb all the bad stuff that's on the internet. The, you know, uh, biases, racism, uh, you know, violent instructions, all of this stuff that a machine it doesn't understand. Hats. This is where right. those ads start to freak out a little right. bit. The morality and the ethics of using this, I think, are going to be challenging. And then I had a conversation with um, you know, an AI, you know, pioneer within our field, um, who was sort of talking about just like if you're not a good emergency manager, then AI is is actually not gonna augment you. It's gonna make you probably much worse at your job because you're going to use it as a crutch and you don't know any better, right? So you have to still have your expertise in the field. Uh, the way that I describe it, though, is it's not going to replace you. You know, you're not going to get fired. Um, it's not going to make you a better emergency manager. Like, you still have to know the field. It's like a, a mech suit that you're going to strap on, an intellectual mech suit, and it's going to make you more powerful. So the stronger you are, the more powerful you'll be with AI. Like it's just gonna like be a force multiplier for you. So I think that that's the strength right now. And the truth is like, we don't even know what this is gonna be used for in like two weeks. Like, I, you know, I just made a, a stumble across a discovery using the most basic <laughs> AI model that I have access to, right? Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. And so, yet, and yet you did some incredible things with it. Yeah. Um, and you're, and what we're referring to is a dispatch dispatching emergency services based off of different conditions. And it was again, crazy. EM Weekly's podcast on that. Yes. But, um, I'm going to sc scale back just a little bit. Okay. Because uh, we're talking about emergency emergent merging technologies. If I can get that out. Yes. And all these conundrums of, you know, what do we do or what ifs, all the what ifs. The what ifs drive me nuts sometimes, but we get paid to do what ifs, so that's fine. Um, Steve Johnson, when we were at a dynamic populations course in Atlanta last year, uh, was talking to me about the British approach versus the American approach in military of training. And it's really stuck with me. And I think you and I have talked about it a couple times. Yeah. Sometimes what we do, and I've done this with myself, as soon as there's a new technology, I, I train to that new technology and not the basics. And so what they do is opposite is they train you how to do it basic. And then once you master that, then they can give you the enhancements of the technology. Yeah. And you're saying the same thing in emergency management is you have to still know how to do your job. And if you don't, no matter the tool, you're still not going to be very good. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I hear people say, well, if everybody starts learning these technologies, if the EMP hits, that dreaded acronym that everybody doesn't want to talk about but loves talking about it somehow, mm. like somehow they won't be able to do their job. Right. And my question to you, and there's actually pros and cons here. Do you think 
this is re really I'm, I'm seriously asking do you think it'd be easier for someone in our time period to go back in time to like the year 1700 and survive eventually you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. Give, them, give them the right kind of tools or do you think that somebody from the year 1700 if they leaped to 2023 would be able to survive whoa that's some uh that's some philosophical gymnastics i gotta do <laughs> i would say uh it would be harder for me to go back because i wouldn't have the knowledge right like i wouldn't know how to how to go and and prepare a field for food right ah but you would know that you would need to prepare a field yeah somebody get, gets up to here and they look at these bricks that we're holding <laughs> these like but, shiny so, stones and they're like what so you here's know? here's a a you good application all the magic here's a good application though that we like someone from that uh you know someone who absolutely has no idea how the internet works but at least can articulate like I want to learn something. This is like a this is another huge advantage and a tool that uh, specifically like the LLM model of AI do really well. You could say like, for instance, if you want to learn about you know the EMP, why is EMP scary? You can you can say like, explain to me the EMP threat as though I'm an engineer. You know, like I'm a technical person and I want to know what exactly the uh, you know the actual failing points within the system are going to be. But if I'm a lay user and I just need to know at its like most basic core, I can ask it to explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old and it'll simplify it. Like that's the advantage of these natural language models. Um, so that's where like people who are not necessarily comfortable in it, like this is something that I think is gonna make it much easier to actually learn a lot of different technologies, right? So uh, in IT, for instance, I worked IT the entire time that I was going to college. I worked in our call center. And then I actually supported an entire college as a student, like the nursing college, to help them with all their IT. Uh, basically, I was better at Googling than they were. <laughs> like, that's really what it came down to, right? Yeah. This, is, this is going to essentially replace, this could replace like a lot of technical support because the machines are going to get smart enough to sort of Google the symptoms that you're putting in there and you can ask it to explain it on a level. This, and in fact, I, th I would say the reason that I was actually really good as an IT person was not necessarily, I, I had a technical background. I was a computer science uh, major for a little bit, switched to minor, and then eventually booted out and did geospatial stuff. But I was actually very good at taking technical information and explaining it in a simple way so the person that was getting help understood what was wrong. Like, and a lot of my colleagues did not do that. They were geniuses, right? And they wanted to explain it like a genius did, or they just didn't have that sort of like capacity to translate it into something or desire to, which is also an issue. We have a lot yeah. of people who are super arrogant when they have information and they don't want to give other people that information because they think it's below them. Yes. Um, and or these- Or they haven't earned it. I had people right. it, uh, do GIS. I did not have a GIS degree, and yet I was producing work faster and getting along better with ops and planning than they were. Yeah, they knew so much more than me, and yet, like when I'd ask them a question, they'd be like, "How dare you? I got a degree in this." They're <laughs> like, "Well, I just Googled it five seconds ago and I found the answer." So yeah, this is it's yeah. there's uh, there's actually a process to this in like academics that uh, it's called technology transfer, right? So one of the hardest things that uh, an academic like someone who is you know, devoted their life to research and, and understanding like these really specific things, like they are the expert in it, 
is simplifying it so that everyone can have access to it. And in fact, it's a huge fault of a lot of, um, you know, the higher ed institutions, like they might produce all this great information, but if it's not getting to the people who actually benefit from it, who cares, right? Like, it's great that it's captured, it's been learned, the body of knowledge is growing. Um, but there's Alan, Alan Alda, ironically, the guy from MASH, is like one of the biggest proponents for taking science and communicating it in a way that people can understand. Um, and it's really hard for someone to do that because we're our own people, right? We've got our, our inherent biases, our, our sort of like ego that gets in the way, all this stuff. Technology doesn't, it has it for sure because we build the models off of information, we're feeding it. So it's, it's going to kind of inherently take some of that, but you can train it eventually to sort of not have the ego. It won't have the ego like by default and to try to remove as much of that as possible. That's actually, I think, one of the biggest challenges and actually one of the biggest arguments for sort of like pumping the brakes on a lot of AI is like, we got to figure out the morality and ethics of it, um, you know, at the same rate that we're releasing stuff um, so that we're not injecting more crap into the world, right? What, uh, what book is that? Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, how the uh, robots are given personality and it's depressed or it has ego, <laughs> doesn't want to answer that day. I would love that from AI. Like, <laughs> nah, it's you I'll know, it's good. It, it, yeah. I mean, that's uh, so they they do build that into. There's like social, you know, AIs that are being developed for people who are like in nursing homes and stuff, who like mm -hmm. maybe don't have 24 seven people there to keep them comforted, or just people who are depressed and just need to chat. And um, you know, they found there's there's been research of like uh, even basic chatbots, not that like from 10 years ago. Like I remember there was one that uh, that was feeding into a Facebook chat. Um, and it was a research by, I think, Stanford. And it was a chatbot that someone could talk to and provide some basic information about, like, you know, are you sad today? Uh, are you going to do any, like, you know, are you suicidal? Are you this? And it would chat, and then it would give you some basic prompts and responses. And, um, you know, people were like, actually, this is kind of helpful. Like, I don't want to tell a person this, but I'm happy to talk to this chatbot. As these get more advanced, there's more functionality. I think right now, what we as an emergency managers need to do is figure out like how do we feed it specific data. So that's like where there's this program called for or a system called Forecast. Eric Kant, who um, was on my podcast, uh, belongs that he's making a decision model, uh, decision making model for AI within this, and they're feeding it specifically the stuff that we need to make critical decisions. Uh, so it's it's more granular and there's less sort of like all of it, um, but it's. For that purpose, it's really specific. And that's where you start to turn AI into like a tool, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like a hammer. And if uh, if your hammer <laughs> or your only tool is a hammer, then every single problem looks like a nail, right? That old saying. And so trying to train different AIs for different things, I think is gonna be more powerful. And then having like an AI that maybe decides which AI to use, um, or you have some process that like sort of determines like which AI is most effective for a situation like that is going to be like the revolutionary part of this revolution. Yeah. That's the word of the day, by the way, is revolution revolutionary really. <clears throat> yeah. So emergency managers looking to use AI. I mean, you talked a ton about chatbot, right? Like, yeah. How, how can chatbots help you out? So, um, just hitting on the higher ed thing, there are some higher ed institutions like St. Louis university where I teach. Um, that uh, are using ChatGPT and using OpenAI and trying to get students comfortable with, um, they still need to do you know their side of the house. 
but yeah. to use these assistants to help them go faster. And in the tabletop exercise that I just gave them out this week, there's there's injects, I don't know, probably less than every 30 seconds, I think I have a, a new inject for them because they have to accomplish a lot in the um, in their exercise. However, if if they're not using every tool available to them, it will take them 10 hours to complete all the tasks required. But I already trained them saying, hey, like, this is how you ask the effective questions. This is how you come up with the models. This is how you, you know, put in the right information so you can spit some stuff out. Case in point, in the tabletop exercise, I needed to show a letter, you know, a fake letter from the governor's office asking a request from the PIO and I just put into JetTBT. I said, here's my disaster scenario. This is what we're looking for. Per- grammar perfect. You know, it's concise, right to the point, but somehow also polite. And I was able to use that in my exercise as a, you know, as a, a prop, essentially, if you will. And so, like, even from, like, that kind of level of just making your exercises look, you don't even talk, we're not even talking about building out the model. We're just talking right. about having an experience that, is more robust and full and realistic, not just by your trusting your own gut by saying, Hey, let me put in some prompts here and you can create exercises all the time for your team and for your stakeholders and compare that to against reality. So, I mean, talk about a major tool enhancement for just getting things done faster. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's, so I think the, like the trouble with like academia is of course, plagiarism, and understanding, yeah. you know, uh, you, you still need people to have, to be able to apply that knowledge. But until like, <laughs> I think this is, this is like, uh, this is one of the challenges with any emerging technology, right? I'm sure like when calculators first started to appear, people were like, you can't use that. Like this well, is, you're cheating, right? I mean, right. it's true. Yeah. A lot in of math, schools are still, math yeah. Test, I still had to write down this, show me how you came up with this answer but as we move towards like a an approach towards education where you're allowed to use any tool within reason like again don't cheat don't just copy and paste but use it as a tool um, and you pick the tool because you understand the concept enough that you know where you're trying to get and you're going to reach to every tool possible to figure that out um, i think is really important and that's what like for me right now that we're kind of like trying to do that with uh with these different versions of AI and, and the LLMs and chatbots, whatever you want to call them, um, and learn like what is the value of this and how can we use it? And we're just so early on in this that we don't know. And so I think that makes people really nervous, but like it's here, it's the Pandora's box is open, right? It's already here. So like where maybe SLU is willing to take advantage um, I happen to be in a professional uh, military education course run by another institution. And, and like, as soon as you log in, one of the first thing it says is like, we have algorithms that can detect AI wow. uh, use. And well, I'm like, we put those parameters in there as well. Yeah. Well, we just want them to learn the tool to be able to assist right. them. But, but yeah. I'm like, I, I get it, you know, cause ultimately of course it's data that's feeding it. So like, it's going to pull from other people's, you know, intellectual property and not, you know, all this yeah. other stuff. But um to just be like no you're not allowed to use it is like the worst thing that you can do because it already exists so like being uh uh uh, so what do they call it like there's a my wife teaches steam classes stem classes whichever you know depending on where you are it's called different things but science technology engineering math and sometimes arts so in that they teach a uh they're teaching kids basically how to use 
the internet in a way that is like morally correct, ethically correct, um, but not to be afraid of it, which is like what a lot of places teach. Like if you copy and paste out of this, you're going to get an F um, instead of being like, you absolutely can use uh, whatever resources you need, but you have to learn how to cite them and you need to understand yeah. like if this doesn't have a citation with it, it might be somebody else's copied from another spot. So understanding that. Um, and what we're going to do is create students that are afraid to like access information and tools because they were basically beaten and saying like, don't use that. It's cheating versus um, teaching them how to use it ethically and and how to use it correctly and to know there's limitations to it like it is a it is literally just a computer it's like the cloud right the cloud is not a cloud it's just a com someone else's computer what? uh so understanding how those systems work and the value of them and how to use them is is going to be really really important um but again it is a new technology so it is kind of scary for some folks who are like maybe not even caught up in the last technology but They'll come I, around. I remember working with a bunch of uh, fire chiefs uh, in the early 2000s when I started, you know, saying like social media is a thing. I guess that was like 2008, 2009. I don't remember when when it really sort of took off. I made the first emergency man or, or public safety Twitter account in the state of Vermont <laughs> when I was when I was a uh, an emergency management director for the town of Shelburne. And all these people were like, don't do it stay away from it it's it's only going to cause you headaches like do you want everyone to just have access to you 24 7 like imagine what the town people will do and lo and behold uh they stay engaged and they got interested in what we were doing and we got more interest in the uh organization and young people wanted to be a part of it because all of a sudden we're on social media and that's where all the young people were and so our department was pretty active and had a good uh membership while others were trying to die off so by using these new technologies, uh, you're setting yourself up for future success. And by not being afraid of them, um, you're not limiting them as a, a tool, but you just have to understand and, and recognize the limitations. And I think we're just not, most people are not in that position anyways, but like, yeah. because this is a very emerging technology, it's not really, all this stuff's been around since the 1950s, right? Machine learning is, is not new. It's just the natural processing language is new. Um, and it's just re kind of spinning up old scary stuff. But a lot of people are already comfortable with this. You have an Alexa in your house, you know, or you're using Siri on have your you watch seen, or your phone. All that is stuff be, is AI. This is a big tangent, but have you seen sure. those gaming videos where the person you can hear the uh, like proximity chat? Yeah, and they'll say, uh, uh, "Xbox turn off," oh, yeah. and the other person <laughs> will get locked up. Yeah, I was trying to do that with the kids who are just uh, really, really loud in like Rocket League because I'm like, I don't need to hear you, man. You need to chill. Yeah. Turn your mic down. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a new thing. It's I just I'm like it's the first time in a long time that I feel like we as emergency managers could like lead the way with this. Absolutely, and we will. I mean, it, it's a it's a fun opportunity at SLU to teach the students about how to do it appropriately. Yeah, and you know, we put all the you know, don't plagiarize. You know, we'll, we can we check all that stuff too. But to learn how to use it as a tool for idea generation or to articulate ideas, incomplete uh, thoughts that you have, at, at, in order to build off additional ideas. And what I would tell the students is that, like. If it is not producing the answer you expect it to, 
you are not asking it or providing it correct information, the information you want, because you want it to be biased. Yeah. Because you you shouldn't use like open AI and chat GBT to like ask you like, what's the meaning of life, <laughs> right? You should ask it like to Because you might you. get an answer and you might not be ready for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I was born ready. Uh, but the like the reality is it's like, oh, I have a mount. Let's take a response, for example, right? And maybe for the last two minutes here, literally last two minutes, you can kind of explain what happened in your podcast. But like in a response, you get a mountain of tasks from everywhere and you need to start organizing those tasks. And if you've put in all the right prompts and you've organized ChatGPT so it understands like when you put something in, it can automatically spit it out. Um, it, it can dramatically enhance your capability to provide life-saving, life-sustaining support. And that's not about plagiarizing at that point because you're not producing a paper. You're talking about your own yeah. thoughts are aggregated in a way that is, you know, for other people. Imagine if you were, you had, for example, this is going to be kind of a random tangent, just like this, you got this really kind of nasty email and you wanted to respond and you wanted to be like angry. So you could put all that information in chat GBT and say, reorganize it so it's polite. <laughs> Boom. You know, I mean, like, don't imagine. Do it. You can do that right that's now. What I'm saying. Yeah, you yeah. Can, you can yeah. literally do that. You can take the. You don't have to be. You're like, oh, do I? Am I passive aggressive in this response? Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm angry, <laughs> right? And so, like, you, there's all different kinds of ways to. It. Oh, like, how about a person who wants to respond to somebody who's high? Who's very important, and they're afraid that they're not going to look very professional, right? There's lots of different use cases that are not like change the world things. Yeah, but can enhance your individual capabilities that you're more effective in in your own job so with the last two minutes here zach just kind of explain the use case of what people can get from from your em weekly podcast episode all right so very specifically i was thinking about this for resource management because to me it's one of the like most challenging parts of emergency management is taking accountability for systems, tracking where stuff is going, knowing when things are in service, out of service, you know, uh, they need to be refreshed, all of this stuff, uh, being able to, you know, figure out work rest cycles for people in an incident, you know, under different weather conditions. Like we only assign like a couple people to the resource man, you know, to, to the resource, uh, task, uh, within emergency management, you know, like you have logistics, uh, and now with the different models, it might fall under something else, but like we don't, devote enough attention to that to do it properly so everything's slow it takes a long time to figure out where your stuff is at like what's tasked what isn't um you know what types of resources are available with a with a model like this and ai you can feed it all the resources in whatever condition they're at and then let it sort of start to track it and then you as an emergency manager can start to figure out like all right i have this type of incident you know and they're asking for this uh this because they're trying to accomplish that instead of me being like well i interpret that as this you know you can basically let the machine take all the information available the weather the the uh conditions the the travel to and from that incident and it's going to go through all of those resources and say all right this maybe the best tool is up in the northern part of the state it'll be there in 45 minutes but actually because there's roads that are cut off there it's going to take a lot longer so we're going to take a we're going to get it from the a town that's an hour away but because there's a clear path it'll get there first yeah um 
early on in an incident, you are task saturated. You have everything just, it's, you're just blasted with information. Humans don't process that very well, right? We have to start breaking it down into like little bits. And that takes a long time, 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe, maybe even longer for a huge, huge incident. Computers do that stuff all the time. That's the whole like beauty of a computer, right? Let the system take all that information and parse it into useful bits that you can start to accomplish. So uh, for instance, I'm just gonna do this really quick. You feed a bunch of information, weather information, disaster reports, uh, incident reports, statistics, knowns, unknowns, whatever you feed it into there and say, please summarize this so I understand what's going on. Takes all of that stuff, it's gonna explain it in a concise way, this is what's going on. And there you go, you've got your ICS 201 done in like two seconds, right? Like, imagine, like you, just, you just get it in a very, very simple thing. And I think that, again, the value is like the agencies that don't have the resources or the early on emergency managers and incident commanders who are just overwhelmed, this is where it's gonna be the most powerful. Once you have everything in place, you probably have the people know how knowledge tools to make it work. We do that all the time, but uh, that's not what saves lives. You save lives in those first 24, 48. I mean, you know, the, the faster you can get this done, the more lives that are saved. So why would you not want technology to make that even faster? The why not was so frustrating with me going back to that full circle here with the journals. Yeah. It's like, why, why not? And every answer, every single answer I heard was fear, incompetence, uh, afraid to lose my job, which goes back to fear, or honestly, willful ignorance. Yeah. None of them were actually like really great answers for like, we shouldn't do this. Somebody said, hey, they're going to shoot down all the drones. Well, I went out to multiple disasters in Texas and in California, Texas being the big one there. And <laughs> guess what? Nobody shot it down. In fact, we had several people come and watch, ask questions, say this is really cool, especially as soon as we said, yeah, we're here to get the da data as fast as we can because we want to help you. Like, oh, that's cool that you're using like this stuff to help us out. So like uh, AI can do the same things, like these chatbots can do the same things. So just wrapping it up here for everybody in the episode, we just bombarded you with our biased opinion. We were the chat GBT of why you should use AI <laughs> today. But um, honestly, like go out there, The there's a free version. I use the free version, Zach uses the paid version, and we're both uh, accomplishing these amazing things to, for enhancement. Funny enough, what we should have done is done an outline of this episode on ChatGPT before we did that because we were kind of all over the place. But it's kind of fun to just think and explore and think what can happen with this. If you're listening to this episode and you have those feelings of fear or hesitancy or you're, you're wondering about the future, I would implore you, instead of just running away in the dark, kind of open the door a little bit, put in your email address, don't, you know, just like... Just try it out. Uh, a simple thing is my father-in-law, he had no idea what it did. And as um, as a fun exercise, he's uh, he understands paint and formulas for paint. And I said, uh, put in a formula, or he's like, I said, ask it specifically a formula for paint. And he's like, oh my gosh, it came out with the exact formula. And then I said, chat GBT, create 10 uh, jokes based off of the 10 commandments using Shun Tzu's language and um references to shakespeare and it came up with these jokes and my father-in-law was just like giggling like <laughs> this little kid and he he asked for screenshots on my phone he sent it to all his friends 
he had no idea and like it can just do that like it can do that instantaneously it's wild either way have some fun uh learning about ai and chat gbt and these of uh, these sources get ahead of the curve allow it to to help you out don't lean on it as a crutch that's a really big fear that actually i have for it for our field but use it to enhance like zach said for life-saving life-sustaining and uh make sure you like and subscribe and all the other things zach what else should they do yeah just play with it uh check out em weekly this week uh and last week i've talked about it twice and um if you're a I, I don't want to just talk to AI folks. I want to talk to AI folks specifically who have a public safety lean. I would love to get some experts on there so that, you know, there is some technical analysis. Like I'm learning this, but I'm not a technical expert. Um, I am a practitioner. I want to be like the tactician of AI, um, Ooh, but I'm super excited about this. And I just think there's, oh God, there's just so much potential. So much potential. Is that going to be like your like name? What did I just say? Was it Tactician of AI? Yeah, sure. That sounds yeah, cool. That actually Maybe that's our new legit. podcast. That's our new podcast, folks. Tactician of AI. The Tactician of AI. We're starting a new podcast on the Radiance yep. Lab. Hey, if you want to host a show, if you thought you'd you'd be a pretty good podcaster and you have some cool stories and you're really passionate about a certain topic, you should reach out. Contact at theradianceslab.com and uh, follow us on our stuff. We are yes. announcing a Dipop, a dynamic populations course at any time, so make sure you check out the Readiness Lab dot com forward slash merch because you can sign up there as well um and see us for our next episode after you like and subscribe peace